1 Peter chapter 1. One thing that I prayed for, uh, actually for a number of years before coming here, uh, Krista and I prayed about this together, that wherever, whatever church the Lord led us to, whatever church the Lord led me to pastor, would be a church that had a strong appetite for the Word of God. And as we came and visited here, that's one thing that we were so convinced of, and it's something that I've been continued to be convinced of. I was talking with somebody just a couple days ago, and they said, they said, this church has always been a church where people love the Bible. They just want to be taught the Bible. And I'm so thankful for that about you. It's such an encouragement to know that when I get up to explain Scripture to you, there's an eagerness. And, and that's truly appropriate because it is the Word of God that produces fruit in our lives. That's how we change as Christians. I emphasize this often, but I think it bears repeating that the preaching of Christ is what brings about Christian maturity in your life. There is no growth apart from the Word of God. And that's why we give such a significant attention in our service to the Bible, not to just trying to generate some experience, not just to have a good time together, but to be taught from Scripture. And so it's so important that our hearts and minds be receptive to it. So as we get into the Scripture this morning, I want to go in with that mindset that we're submitting ourselves to the Word of God. You see on the screen there, uh, this, the words anchored, essential truths to live by, because this Sunday and the following two Sundays, I want to do a short mini-series before I start an extended series at the end of January, and this series is really intended to help us as we move into this new year. And I have you take, I've taken you to 1 Peter because I want to draw your attention to verse 8 in 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8. In this passage, the Apostle Peter writes this, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Let's have a word of prayer. Our Father, thank You so much for Your Word. And I pray that it would today do the work that you've intended for it to do, to expose our hearts, to unearth our, our thinking that, that is against you, and to stir in us faith and love for you. I thank you that you will do this in answer to our prayers, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, sometimes what we feel timid to actually say out loud the Bible declares boldly, and this is one of those passages where Peter declares that the thing that is most important about us as Christians, the thing that we evaluate our success on, the thing that we, uh, that we shape our values by, is a person we can't see. Do you notice that in the passage here? He says in verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see Him, you believe. And that means that the things that are most important to us as Christians are things we've never seen before. I mean, if you think about it, that almost seems, from one perspective, it seems ridiculous. That, that the thing that we cannot see is what we find, as Peter says, love. And we rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. 
Now, this idea of living by things that we can't see shouldn't be an entirely foreign concept to us because we take things on faith all the time. I believe that there is such a thing as gravity, don't you? (laughs) Have you ever seen gravity? I've never seen gravity, but I believe that it exists. And, and believe me, I, I guide my existence, my, the way I operate by the belief that there is such a thing as gravity. Although I've never seen it, I accept it by faith. I believe there is such a thing as love. I, I experience love when I go home and see my wife and children, and, and I experience love as we come into church. I believe there is such a thing as love, although I have never seen love before. But I think that you'll agree that there's something really different going on when it comes to the faith of believers. It's because unlike gravity, you know with gravity, every, when I take an object and I, I lift it up and then I release it unaided, it, it always falls to the ground. I don't really have any trouble believing that. But when it comes to the Christian faith, there's something different going on, and you can see this a little earlier because in verse 7, look at, look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 7, it says, so that the, look at the word, the tested genuineness of your faith. In other words, there's something about the faith of believers that gets tested. The pressure gets put on it. Have you found this to be true in your life? That the things that you believe as as a Christian, for instance, that God is good, that God is in control, that gets tested? That yes, this is what I believe, but but man, when when I lose my job or or my children seem to have abandoned me or things are always financially tied or I'm, I'm getting sick and you have these experiences like, okay, what I believe about God, there's pressure on it. And this is the testing of our faith. Unlike the things that we accept by faith all the time, there is something different about the Christian faith and that it is tested. We find circumstances that seem to oppose it. So there's a good, all-powerful God, is there? Why am I struggling in this way? Why am I still not married, someone that's single might ask. Why, why am I still having struggle in my marriage, someone that's married might ask. Why, is, why are these disabilities in my life? There is pressure on the faith that we have in the propositions that God is good and that He's in control. And these kinds of pressures and many more can cause you and me to wonder whether our beliefs are really worth holding on to. They could make us feel unstable. They could tempt us to abandon what we believe. And that's one of the reasons why I want to spend this Sunday, this Sunday's message and the following two Sundays to focus on some unshakable truths, unchanging truths. That's why I've, I've titled this series Anchored Essential Truths because These are things that you and I will need to hold on to as we go into this new year. In 2019, you're going to experience changes in your life. We all do. You're going to experience crises in your life, circumstances that you find yourself in and you're thinking, I don't like this. You're going to experience perhaps confusion in this coming year where you go through a circumstance and you're like, I don't like this and I don't understand what's going on. And in times of crisis, confusion and change, you need to grab a hold on truths that don't change. You need to lay hold on things that are eternal and everlasting and stake your life on them. I've chosen these three truths in particular because they answer three very important questions that are hotly contested all over the world. And here are the questions. What is real? How can I know? And where do I find meaning in life? The three essential truths that I want to focus on these three Sundays are answers to the questions, what is real? How can I know? 
And where do I find meaning in life? A lot of people have ideas about what's real. This, this earth is real. Money is real. Jobs are real. But what's really real? I mean, what is the reality behind everything? What about this question, how do I know? How, how do I know what's real? Do I go on my feelings? Do I go on popular opinion? Do I get on Facebook and check what everybody else is saying about what's real? I mean, do I, do I just listen to the news? Do I listen to popular psychologists and popular authors? I mean, how do I know what the truth is? And finally, where do I find meaning in life? Do I find it in my job? Do I find it in my, in my family? Do I find it in, in sports and recreation? Where do I find meaning in life? And here are the truths that we're going to go over in that, number one, there is a living God. That is the question, that's the answer to the question of what is real. What is, is really real is that there is a God, and He is the one that has created this universe for His own glory. He is the ultimate reality that we must come to grips with. And secondly, where do I find truth? Okay, here is where you find the truth about that reality. You find it in this, the Word of God, the Bible. God has revealed Himself in Scripture. We're going to deal with that next Sunday. And thirdly, where do I find meaning in life? I find true meaning, fulfillment, and satisfaction as I grow in Christ-likeness. And we'll be looking at that two Sundays from now. Now, I'll just admit to you that these first, especially the first two statements, sound incredibly obvious to those of us who are believers, right? This is like, okay, yeah, I understand that. There is a living God. Okay, yes, I believe the Bible. That's why I'm here in church. Yes, that, it's very obvious, but, but just, just hang on with me. Let me explain why I think this is so important. Have you ever stepped out on your back porch after an icy day, maybe in February, and found yourself slipping? And there's a handrail there. What do you do? I mean, instinctively, you, you reach out your hand, you grab onto that handrail, right? Now, you may have gone down those stairs hundreds of times in the summer months, June, July, August. Actually, will the snow be melted by June? <laughs> I'm just, I don't know, okay? So I'm still going through my first bit. But you, let's say, let's push it out to August. You go down the stairs in August and you don't even think about the handrail there. Why? Why? Because you, you're not slipping. You're fine. Your feet, your footing is sure, yes? But in February, when things are icy, you're grabbing hold on that rail. And here's where the parallel exists in our lives, is that, is that when, when our feet are slipping out from under us, when we're thinking, is the Christian faith really worth living? Is my marriage really worth keeping? Is, is it really worth investing in my children the way I am? Is it really worth staying sexually pure as a young person? Is this all really worth it? We find ourselves slipping, then we have to cling to these truths. But here's where the parallel breaks down a little bit. It's that we need to cling to these truths not just when we feel our, we're slipping. We need to cling to these truths all the time because it's when we feel most secure that we're in most danger. It's when we feel most secure that we're in most need to fix our eyes on the truths that never change. This is the reality. This is true meaning in life. This is where we find truth. You and I, and as we go into 2019, we must be anchored in these truths. Now, that's why I am so concerned that we as a church family get this. This, this is why I'm so concerned that, that you and I, as, as we face the, the things that we're going to face in this coming year, that, that we be secure in this. And the first truth is this, there is a living God. Now, I think it would be reasonable for you to reply and say, okay, I got that. Check, what's the next one? All right. Because if this is all we believe, there would really be nothing substantially different between what this statement and, and the vast majority of people in the world today. 
you realize that the segment of the population that don't believe in God is extremely thin. Like, most people, most rational people in the world today understand that there is something out there, that there's some deity, some force greater than ourselves responsible for the existence of this universe. I mean, this doesn't distinguish you from a Buddhist, from a Taoist, from, from a Hinduist, from a spiritist. I mean, this, this barely distinguishes us from anybody else in the world. So why are we taking so much time to emphasize it? It's because of this. There's, there's two problems that we face that, that, why, that gives rise to the need for us to get this. And the first problem is this. We, we may believe that there is a God, but our conception of that God is always in danger of being distorted. I'll say that again. We have no problem believing that, that there is a God, but our conception of who that God is is always in danger of being twisted one way or the other. That's what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 1 and verse 25 when he says, although they knew God, what? They did not glorify Him as God, neither were thankful, but their foolish hearts were darkened, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the truth about God for a lie. We do that all the time. We came into the world doing that. How does this happen? We either tend to believe in a God that we can manage ourselves. Oh, God is, God is somehow a God that I could appease by my good works, that I could, I could make Him happy by doing certain things. And I have God in my little box, and we can feel good about ourselves if we've checked all the boxes and, and performed all the right rituals, and we've, we've managed God somehow. We can think of God in that way. Or on the other hand, give a bad day, a cascade of poor decisions, and suddenly God seems distant and aloof like some stone-cold statue with its arms folded far away from us like an emperor across a distant ocean with little care or concern about our affairs and then we fall into despair or apathy. We, we have this constant, this is what we were talking about a few weeks ago, this God blur in our minds. Yes, we believe that there is a God, but our conception of who that God is is constantly in danger of being distorted one way or the other. That's why we need to grab a hold of this truth. Here's another reason. Our knowledge of God, yes, even if you believe the God of the Bible, everything that the Bible describes about God in, in the Bible, even if you believe that, there's another danger we face, and that is it rarely translates into moving our affection and will. Okay, there's a God. There's a God, and He loves me, and He cares for me. True God is good, but here's the problem that we face. But is He really good to me? Yes, of course God answers prayer, but is He answering my prayer? Of course God cares, but does He really care for me? That's the problem we face. It's not that we, we fail to believe that there is a living God, but, but we fail to apply the truths about God to our particular circumstances to, to make it real for, for me. It's one thing to agree to this. It's another thing to live by it. See, I could take my phone, I left it down at the pew, but I could take my phone and I could go into a closet in my, in my house and I could check the weather. And I can see that it's sunny outside. But it's an entirely different thing for me to step outside the door and soak in the golden rays of the sunlight for myself, isn't it? That's the difference between knowing that there is a living God and experiencing the golden rays of His goodness and grace in your life. And so the question I want to ask, and here's the pressing question I want us to consider, is... What does it mean to know that there is a living God in such a way that actually changes our life? What does it mean to actually 
grab a hold of this truth that, that there is a God in such a way that, that, that transforms us, that motivates us to holier living, to, to more faithful living, to, to more secure confidence in this God. I mean, the, the question is, how can I grab a hold of this truth? How can I, as it were, descending my slippery steps, grab a hold of that handrail so that I don't fall? And the statement that I want to make here, and I'm going to prove it and explain it from Scripture, is this. Knowing God means having a relationship with Him that is personal and proven. Knowing God means having a relationship with Him that is personal and proven. And this is answering the question, okay, yes, there's a living God, but how can I make that real for me? How how can that, that affect my life? And here it is. Knowing God by faith means having a relationship with Him that is personal and proven. Now, let me just tell you what I'm doing here is a, is a little bit unusual. It's not what we, I typically do when I preach. Normally, I take a passage of Scripture and I, and I draw out what it's saying. In this case, I'm giving you a statement, but I'm seeking to demonstrate that this statement is really what the Bible is teaching. Right? It's, it's a very broad statement, but I think that it'll become incredibly obvious to you that this is true when we look at just a few passages of Scripture. So first of all, knowing God means having a relationship with Him that is personal. And, and first of all, I want you to understand that by personal, I don't mean private, okay? I don't mean, you know, some people think of this about religion. Like, don't talk to me about religion. That's, that's, that's personal. In other words, don't mess with that in my life. No, no, no. By personal, I mean that you engage in it with, as, as a person, that you have a personal relationship with. Not that it's private. Our relationship with God doesn't stay private. It's something that overflows out of us. But it is personal. It affects us as, as persons. It's, uh, for example, it's one thing to say that you know the President of the United States. You might know him because you follow him on Twitter. But it's another thing to say that I have a relationship with him that implies that, 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 that he knows you and you know him. It, it's a totally different, it's, a, it's one thing to say that, that you know who God is and the fact that you know that he's omnipotent, all-powerful, that he's all-good, that he's all-present. It's another thing to say that I have a relationship with that God. And to prove this, that knowing God means having a relationship that is personal, I want you to go to Psalm 18. Psalm 18. I'll take you to a few passages of Scripture. Some of them I have on the screen. Psalm 18, I could go to many places in the Psalms. I just had to choose a few to to prove this point to you that knowing God in a way that impacts your life personally is, is a personal thing. Look at this psalm and just look at the pronouns. The pronouns are the words that are referring to, to people like me, my, he, him. Th- those are pronouns. Look, look at this. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. Do you kind of get the idea that there's something personal going on here with the psalmist and God? Isn't that just like bursting from this psalm that, that, that David here writing the psalm is not looking at God as some distant, aloof deity. He's saying he's mine. He's my God. I take, I take refuge in, in him. It's a personal thing. He goes on and says he is my shield 
And the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And, and I am saved from my enemies. For, for David, for the psalmist, knowing God was not a distant thing. It was not just checking off boxes on a theological list of, of, of truths. It was, it was, this is for me, God's protection and his strength. And his security is, is applied to me personally. Knowing God means having a relationship with him that is, that is personal. How different this would be if, if this psalm went something like this. The Lord is to be loved, and he gives strength. He is a rock. He is a fortress. He is a deliverer. He is a shield. He's available to be called on. You know what I left out? I mean, it was all true, wasn't it? But what did I leave out? It's all the pronouns, all the words that express that this is, this is my God. We also see this in Psalm 23. Flip over there a few pages. What, just, what is so apparent to you about these theological truths that are being expressed explained in Psalm 23. What's so apparent to us is that they're not just words on a page to the psalmist. They are realities in his life. The Lord is not a shepherd. He's mine. And because of that, I shall not want. And it's not that he just makes one to lie down in green pastures. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. There's a personal element to knowing God. This is how to activate the promises of God for you. It's to hold them personally for you. This is what the writer of Hebrews is referring to in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Pastor Kyle read this earlier. I won't ask you to turn there, but listen to these words. He writes, And without faith... It is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Right. What does it take to draw near to God? You must believe that he exists, but that's not the end of the sentence. And that he will reward you as you diligently seek him. I mean, there is a personal element. You must believe that there is something in it for me when I draw near to God, uh, that I find a reward. And that's what Hebrews 11 is all about. It's this, this story of the, the faith-filled saints of the past, how that they drew near to God in faith, personal act, personally activating this truth about God. Now, if it is true then that Knowing God means having a personal relationship with Him. The, the question that must be answered is, well, then how do you have a personal relationship with God? And the answer is so simple. It is only through Jesus Christ. You cannot know God apart from Christ. And this is the most important question confronting any human being. How can a sinful human being be right with God? There's only one way, and it is through Jesus Christ. Why is that even the case? Because apart from Christ, you cannot know God as He truly is. You cannot know how holy God is apart from understanding that what it took to take care of our sins with the death of His Son on the cross, and you cannot understand how merciful God is unless you see that He did extend Jesus as our Savior. That's how we know God. We know God through Jesus Christ, and that's the only way that we have a personal relationship with Him. 
As Jesus Christ Himself says, no one comes to the Father except through Me. And this is why I find it so comforting in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. I want you to turn there actually to see that. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. The question that we're asking is, what does it take to know God? What does it take to, to grab a hold of this truth that God is not just as an intellectual agreement, but as something that impacts me personally? And I'm saying the truth of Scripture is this happens through Jesus Christ. For 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20 says this, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him, that is Christ. That is why we utter our amen to God for His glory. Let me just read that again. All, all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. What does that even mean? It means that because of your relationship with Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, then Jesus is the one who says, yes, the promise of God is for you. All the promises of God, all the saving promises of God that, that are just so incalculable in their, in their immensity can be yours in Christ. You think about the historically pivotal promise that was made to Abraham in chapter, Genesis chapter 12, where God says to Abraham, in you I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth. That becomes true for us in Jesus Christ. To, take the, to agree to the statement that there is a living God makes absolutely no difference in your life unless you embrace it personally. And you cannot embrace it personally without faith in Jesus Christ because only through Jesus can you know God. Now, let me, let me talk to you who may be, a, you may be a doubter, you may be a little skeptical, you may be just kind of curious about this. Maybe you come here week after week and, and you find yourself attracted to the spiritual things you find yourself moved by the music. But if you are not believing in Jesus, the promises of God are not for you because they are only for those who are in Christ. And unless you have, as it were, just found your pride shattered at the foot of the cross, knowing that Jesus died for you, unless you find your heart just embracing the fact that God is showing His love for you in Jesus and you're saying, I believe that by faith, then God's promises are not for you because it's only through Christ that we're saved. And let me urge you, believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And now for those of you who are believers and, and you're, you're saying, yes, th this is me. Okay, you're talking about me. I do believe in Jesus Christ. But here's what happens to us. Our faith grows cold. Sin creeps in. Disappointments embitter us. Other Christians hurt us. Family members betray us. And we can begin to doubt In Christ, you can take fresh courage. 
in Christ, you can look at all the promises of God and you can say, those are mine. You, you can look at the Bible as if it were a catalog of the most costly promises and below each item in this amazing catalog is this note written, purchased by Jesus for you. Why? Because all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. And that is why, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20, we can utter our amen to the glory of God. It's like you're, you're, you're flipping through this catalog and you're seeing, you're seeing this promise, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's yours in Christ. Amen. That's true. You can flip through this catalog and you can see there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And it says, purchased for you by Jesus Christ. And you can say, amen. That's true. You can look at all the promises of God and you can say, that's mine in Jesus. Believer, take fresh courage. God is with you. His promises don't fail. He will be with you in 2019 as He has been with you in 2018. He will not leave you. You're, you're anxious. You're concerned. Overwhelmed by your own sin. God promises, I will forgive your iniquity. I'll remember your sin no more. Yes, in Christ Jesus. Amen to the glory of God. The peace of God. Are you anxious? Worried? Constantly getting up in the morning with that knot in your stomach because of the things you don't know that you're going to be able to face. Here is the promise of God, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Yes, amen to the glory of God. Those promises are ours. Afraid that something will separate you from the love of God? Paul says this, I'm sure that neither life nor death, nor rulers, nor angels, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Yes, amen to the glory of God. Those are ours in Christ. Knowing God means, knowing that there is a living God is an essential truth that you must Grab onto, hold onto when you feel slipping, like you're slipping. But you only can know that through Jesus Christ. It's having a relationship with Him that is personal, but it's also having a relationship with Him that is proven. This is the statement that I'm seeking to validate from Scripture that knowing God means having a relationship with Him that is, first of all, personal. It's personally activated as you embrace God's promises through Jesus Christ, but it's also proven. And to explain this, uh, let, someone has put it this way, the, the proof of faith in God is obedience. The proof of a relationship with God is obedience to God. Now, to get this clear, obedience to God is not what creates a relationship with God. Yet, a relationship with God is what gives rise to obedience to God. You see the difference? The difference is incredibly important. Suppose that there is a young man here today, and he told, tells me that he's in love with a girl, wants to marry her. I keep on looking out and seeing, is he, gonna, is he hanging out with her? Are they spending time together? I ask him, hey, how's it going with your, with your girlfriend? And, and I, I never see you together. He says, yo, I'm in love with her. But when was the last time you talked with her? Boy, I can't remember. But I'm in love with her. 
Do you text her or anything? Oh, no. But I'm in love with her. I'd be like, man, I, you, you will use the word love, but I, I think what I'm thinking with by love and what you think by love is totally different. Whatever it means to be in love is going to show, right? It's the same with faith in God. When you have faith in God, it, it produces love and obedience to God. We are saved by faith alone, but faith that saves is never alone. Now, there's, there's nowhere this is clearer in all Scripture that in, than in the passage that Pastor Kyle read to us a little earlier. He didn't read the whole, all of Hebrews 11 for the sake of time, but, but man, th- this chapter is packed with action. It's the faith chapter. But what you notice about every sentence that, follow, that begins by, by faith or has the word in faith or through faith, what well, follows? It's an action. And, and just, just look at these. Again, what we're saying is that knowing God means having a relationship with Him that is that is personal, but also what? It's also proven. How is it proven? It's proven by your obedience. It's proven by action. Look at this. Look at how action flows from faith. By faith, Abel offered. By faith, Noah constructed. By faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, he went to live in the promised land. By faith, he offered up Isaac. By faith, Isaac invoked blessings. By faith, Joseph gave directions concerning his body to be buried in the promised land. By faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. By faith, Moses chose, rather, to be mistreated. Consider the reproach of Christ, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. By faith, Moses left Egypt. By faith, he kept the Passover. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea. It goes on to say, by faith, others conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness became mighty in war. What follows by faith? It's action. It's obedience. Faith never stays by itself. Knowing God is not something that just exists in your head. It's something that flows out of your hands and heart and will and emotions. I mean, it's having a relationship with Him that is proven. I mean, can you imagine Noah saying something like this? Oh, yes, I believe that God's going to build, God's going to send a flood. Say, Noah, do you, you really believe this whole world is going to be overcome by water? Oh, yes but I'm not going to build an ark. No, by faith, he constructed an ark. Can you imagine Abraham saying, oh, I believe that God has given me a land, it's promised to me, but pack up everything and leave to get there? No way. That's not what faith does. Faith acts upon the promises of God. It's proven. It's the difference between believing that an airplane can get you from point A to point B and actually getting on the airplane to get there. It's the difference between believing that the pew that you're sitting on can support you and actually sitting in it so that it supports you. That is faith proven. Knowing God means a relationship with God that is not only personal, but it's also proven. I want to return to the original question that we asked. What does it mean to know God? What does it mean to take this truth that is so foundational, so central, so basic to who we are as believers, and to grab a hold of it. It means that you take it personally through Jesus and that you prove it practically. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you and I need this. We'll need this in the coming year. Because there will be things that will test your faith. 
There will be circumstances in your life that will make you tempted to say, I can't handle this. I'm not going to do this anymore. You must remember that there is a living God. He reveals Himself in Scripture. You can take a hold of His promises in Jesus Christ and prove them to be so in your life by walking by faith and obeying Him. Let me ask you this morning, where are you, my friend? Are you slipping, insecure, doubting, wondering whether God's promises are for you? There is a living God. And His promises are for you in Christ. So rejoice in them. Think of them as a feast that is laid out before you. Don't just nibble. Feast on it. Take them for you, for yourself. Have you embraced this truth? Are you proving it with your life? Does the fact that God is holy making any difference in your life? Does the fact that God answers prayer make any difference in your prayer life? Does the fact that God is with you make any difference in your level of anxiety? Does the fact that God is is constantly showing good to you make any difference in how often you thank Him? This is how to turn faith into reality. Now let me make this as practical as I can, just as by way of closing. What, what What do we do with this now? How can we remind ourselves that there is a living God? Here are three three things we can do. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Go into 2019 absolutely committed to knowing God better. Read the Bible. Pray. Pray to your God. You might say, hey, I know we did a whole series on prayer, but I still feel like I don't know how to pray very well. Here's an idea. Take the Psalms and pray them back to God. Just make those words your own. Read the Bible and pray. And here's something else. Be here. Be with other believers in Christ. This is what the church is all about. This is why we gather. We gather to strengthen each other in our faith. We gather to encourage one another, to to stir up one another to love and good works. Listen, brothers and sisters, there may be someone in this room, there may be a fellow believer, a brother or sister in Christ, and they today are on the very brink of despair. There may be someone that you passed in the foyer just this morning, and and this coming week, they are about to just abandon something very precious because they are doubting the promises of God. Encourage them. We come here to church as broken people. We come here to church as people who are desperately need. None of us ha- desperately need. None of us has it all together. We might as well admit it. We might as well open our lives up to each other for the help that we most desperately need to encourage one another to remember that although my circumstances may be difficult, although there may be things that conflict with what I believe, there is a living God, and in Christ all his promises are yes. So we can say amen to the glory of God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Dear friends, you've heard the word of God, and I urge you, don't just let it be words that bounce off your ears. But take these things deep into your heart 
What will you do with God's word? How will you activate God's promises for you? How will you personalize these things that God has told you so clearly in his word? How will you go into 2019 clinging onto this truth that there is a living God? Our Father, would you use your word to change us, make us more holy, more loving, more joyful in you? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.